just accessed Hardware is Forever, your source for the expert insights, ideas, and innovations you need to do more in the electronics manufacturing industry. From optimization to operations, join us as we put the pieces together for a better approach to manufacturing. Let's go. Welcome back to Hardware is Forever. I'm Chris Bentliff, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Patel, who's the CEO at Amtech. Jay, it's really um, something that I love to do is kind of pick the brains of experts. And I love to hear uh, stories that are sort of in the trenches, sort of elbow deep in, in, in what, what goes on. And I thought it'd be fun today if you could share, I don't know, two, three, four, one or two stories, something that's been interesting or complicated or un uh, unexpected or surprising, or maybe completely went exactly to plan. And how often does that happen? Stories maybe like from the floor, from what you guys are doing out there. And then did you learn anything from that? And maybe what can the rest of us learn from some of that? There are a lot of lessons we have learned, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the hard way on the shop floor. So some of them, you know, there's stories behind it. Some of them are common sense things. Uh, and some of those are just aggregate things. So there's no really one incident that pushed us to learn this lesson, but it's just a trend that we've observed on the manufacturing floor. So I think one thing that really is that sticks out is everybody works hard. You know, when we have a deadline, we work hard. When we're behind, we work hard. Uh, but one thing that I found that is if we work hard to be proactive, things get a lot better. So work hard to be proactive and not because you have to be reactive. So when things are good, work hard to set yourself up for success. Because when those times of uncertainty or a customer program that comes in that a customer is demanding a quick turn uh, or you're launching your product or an issue comes up in the supply chain or on the shop floor, if you're working hard to be proactive, then you have the bandwidth to be able to properly manage that particular situation. Can you give me some examples? Part of what I'm hearing you saying is the old maxim, work smart, not hard. And the working smart usually comes from, have you set up some systems so that when the thing comes at you, you're ready? Is that kind of what you mean? Or what What are some ways that you suggest we can proactively work hard so that when it comes down to it, you're just, it's easy. Now it's ready to go. Yeah. So I think, I think a lot of the stuff happens is uh, a lot of planning, a lot of setting up the processes, a lot of catching up. You know, sometimes when we become, when we're under pressure, we sometimes have to triage and pick and choose what we need to do just to get through the day and satisfy our customers. And in those situations, definitely we have to work hard. But when those, when we're not under pressure, we need to work hard to put those systems in place and put those habits in place. So then when that situation arises again, we're not in panic mode. We can handle it and everything runs smooth. How do you organize that? Because part of what I'm part of what I'm imagining is um, almost a utilization thing. So, okay, everybody, uh, we've got a bit of breathing room. Let's do this and this and this. Let's set that and that and that up. Because remember, two weeks ago or two months ago, when this thing happened, we found ourselves a little bit flat-footed. Like, do you take some scenario and say, okay, when we have some breathing room, everybody, we're going to address this and this and this? Or is it more organic than that? Or is there a process for you as as that goes? Or how does that kind of work internally for you? So I think a lot of people have different ways of capturing uh, lessons learned and things that they need to implement. We definitely have it with our leadership team and our operations team. On a weekly basis, we come up and kind of talk about our issues and then put a plan together 
to plug those issues. So when we're in a state where things are kind of smooth and not a lot of pressure or we're not in uh, crisis mode or we get the opportunity to plug those holes. So when that situation or that use case or that scenario happens again, we're better prepared for it. So is that an iterative process? So the next time, so you you put some things together and then you put them in play and then are you constantly finding ways to fine tune that? Is it ever done? Is that process ever like, okay, guys, we got this one nailed down. Let's move on to the next thing. No, it's never done because there's there's always room for improvement. There's always something that can be improved. Like, you know, for example, when for us, when we fix an issue, that's not the bottleneck anymore. Then the next bottleneck arises. And then we have to work together as a team to fix that bottleneck. And it's an ongoing process. And the nice thing about that is that it's fun. It's challenging. It, it pushes our creativity. And then once we put that solution in place, everybody can see how it worked. And there's a sense of accomplishment and a sense of, okay, life and work is becoming a little bit easier now. How important is prioritization in that uh, so that you're not trying to fix everything at once or address everything or reinvent everything at once, but you're saying, this is the thing that really needs it right now. Is that clear? Like, is it easy for you and your leadership team to sort of identify these are the biggest, worst issues? Or how do you, I don't know, how do you aggregate that? How do you survey the team so that you know kind of where to focus on first and next? I think the easiest thing to do is quantify by data, but sometimes data is not available. So we try to do an analysis, uh, whether it's from experience or try to extract data just from experiences to make sure that we're hitting the biggest issue and making the biggest difference we can with our time that we have now. What kind of data? So I'm thinking about our listeners out there and our, our, our viewers. What should they be looking for? What should they be how do they know this is a screaming issue? And maybe anecdotally, you know it in your gut, but here's something to look for that's going to tell you, yeah, this is a place to to really spend some time focusing on. Yeah, I think it comes down to how much time it took to manage it internally, the quality of it, on-time delivery, the ease of processing it, and the opportunity cost of not fixing it. What would that be? So... Uh, we kind of look at all that information and then make a decision on what to proactively fix. One of the things that I uh, heard recently that I really loved was um, an example of great leadership or management that, that talks about how great leaders are situationally aware. They know what's going on around them, but they're also self-aware. They know how they are impacted by those things and how they impact those things. So let me let me flip this on its other side of the coin how do you, as a sort of curious, self-curious uh, uh, CEO, how do you put these same things in place for you? So how do you examine your own leadership style or your own decision-making process or your own um, discovery about your management team? And how do you get ahead of your own sort of whatever bumps in the road or obstacles or, or blind spots so that you are active, acting proactively when you're not, you know, it's all, it's all screaming crazy around here. I've got some breathing room. I'm going to address this thing about my leadership style. I'm going to learn this thing. I'm going to dedicate myself to this thing. Is that a process that you go through personally and professionally? I think there's, I think the best practices that I have for, for me is taking time out to look at the bigger picture, taking time out to reach out to uh, people in the industry who've done it before, people in business who've done it before, and kind of model their success uh, and 
work on bridging the gap between where I am today and where I need to be from those models and those feedback that I do have. So it is a conscious decision to stop and think about the big picture and see where my gaps are and blind spots are to fix them. And I think that takes a group effort. So, you know, I think as a leader, I think you always have to be a student first. Mm -hmm. So to make sure that you're making the right decisions, because my decisions, if they're right or wrong, have a bigger impact on success than somebody else in the organization. So as a leadership team, we always have to make sure that we're making the right decision. How does that trickle down to your uh, managers or to your leadership team? Is that something that you instill? And then we talked a lot last time about how you you kind of look for the right fit and that's probably step one, but how does that become, I guess I guess maybe what I'm getting at is how, does, how do we culturally make this part of an organization so that culturally we are in self-discovery mode and then we are in uh, let's iterate, let's improve rather than we're constantly reacting, we're constantly reacting, which is how a lot of operations go. A lot of companies are, constantly trying to put their thumb in the dam instead of saying, hold on, everybody, we got to not just fix the dam, but rethink the dam entirely. How do you culturally make that happen at Amtech? So I think that's the next thing that we learned on the shop floor is that the team must be engaged. And that means emotionally and intellectually. So just because we're shipping product out on time with delivery, but if you're not engaged emotionally or intellectually, I think that's where we don't get the feedback and that's where we don't get the group think that we is required to grow and enjoy working. So, you know, typically people come in and in manufacturing, you think that as long as they got the task at hand or anything in your production, a task at hand and they're delivering on time, that is, that could be the definition of success. Well, for us, the definition of a success is our team, whether it's a leadership team, operations team, or, our production team out on the shop floor. Hardware is Forever is a production of Amtec, the proven leader in circuit board manufacturing solutions. From engineering to assembly, testing to supply chain, Amtec is proud to be a partner that our customers can lean on time and time again. If you're looking for a fresh perspective on your next project, we wanna help with a free design for manufacturing assessment. Visit us at buildamtech.com slash DFM to get started. The definition for our success is that we have to be engaged emotionally, intellectually. And once that happens, then we're able to get the feedback and work proactively to identify the issues and work proactively to plug the issues. It's interesting and refreshing to hear you talk about how you have to be engaged uh, emotionally, which we talked about a little bit in our last episode. But Again, that's often forgotten uh, in leaders. We're, we're thinking so pragmatically sometimes that we forget uh, that that sort of um, emotion is the currency of of smart decision making and of people getting on board and behind you. One question I have is, I know that at Amtech you're 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 sort of uh, students of the EOS system, which is the entrepreneurial operating system. How does that intersect? Without like, we're not going to go into a deep dive course here on EOS. It's super fascinating. We'll check it out in another episode. But how does that intersect with because let me get to the heart of that question. I love what you're sharing, which for me speaks to an entrepreneurial mindset. And even if you're not an entrepreneur, having that entrepreneurial mindset makes you a stronger leader, makes you a better manager, makes you a better part of a, of a leadership team when you can think um, big picture like that. Does that does the EOS system or your own philosophies about that intersect with some of what we're talking about? 
Absolutely, it does. And I think before we implemented EOS, we always wanted to have a particular purpose or per particular idea to rally behind. And we weren't able to really, I think, verbalize it and be able to communicate it and get people's buy-in from the organization. But now that we have it and we've created a structure, the EOS has given us a structure to be able to, you know, well, number one, communicate it, number, you know, number two, implement it. And number three is tell us what it takes and what processes and what people we have to recruit and keep to keep that purpose going. Uh, there's a day and night difference between the level of engagement uh, prior to EOS and post EOS. I like that there's a framework that you're suggesting. You know, again, we can we when we get into this idea of how can we improve, how can we do this, we can get into um, a task-oriented mindset, and we can get into a if we do this, then and then if we do this, then. But part of what I'm hearing you share is is having a framework or a guideposts for how you want to improve and where, what what is that outcome that you want to be at? Because it's one thing to react and it's another to respond, right? And so reacting is, oh, quick, let's make it so that never happens again. But responding is, let's learn from this so that our organization uh, grows. How is that a transformation that you feel with EOS's help and, and just in general, you've sort of seen Amtech, I don't know, amplify in the last whatever several years for you or something where you've kind of feel like you're moving into this space of organizational cultural innovation i don't know if we're we're moving into organizational cultural innovation i think we are building that type of culture here um the innovation was done in the framework when you know gino wickman first created eos we're just kind of benefiting from the fruits of that. And I think a lot of it comes from the next point that we learned on the shop floor is common sense trumps technology or complication. So, you know, I, we could have designed a new process and we could have done all these things. Uh, but when we looked at a system that was already vetted and already implemented, common sense stated, let's implement it. And I think that's where we find out, out a lot of things in the shop floor as well. Like, why are, why is this happening? Well, we could do X, Y, and Z and get this type of system and get these consultants and get this, this, and get this, that. But really, you know, 95% of the time, the solution is common sense. Like, why isn't this machine working? Well, you know, the machine manufacturer says we have to replace this, replace that, replace this. And what it came down to was a limit switch. Mm -hmm. So before going and making it too complicated, let's use our common sense to solve these problems. And I think that's where it came with, with EOS is... How do we engage the team? Let's find a process to engage the team that we don't have to create again. And that was a common sense solution. You know, retrospectively, it's a common sense solution. When we're going through it, it was a big deal for us. Like, will this work? Will this not? This is going to shift. And, you know, if we change the culture and do it this way and it fails, then we may not be able to implement something like this again. So it was a big risk for us initially. Um, and it, it worried us initially. But now looking back at it, it was a common sense solution. And I think you know, whether it's it's a process in the front and the sales doing NPI, new product introductions or launches or out on the production floor when they're doing the assembly, common sense always trumps technology. I had a customer um, that we were, we were working with and they said, you know, Jay, you're coming up all, all these ideas, but I think it just comes down to basic blocking and tackling. You don't need anything else. 
And that was a revelation for me. It's like, you know, you're right. I, I, and I'm a guy who likes technology. I like my toys. If there's a problem, buy something, build something, put something to automate it. But at the end of the day, that may not be the solution. And he was right. Common sense did trump technology. And we were able to solve the problem that we had for that customer. Uh, I love that. It connects to this idea of keep it simple, stupid. You know, the uh, yeah. the old analogy of whatever you're doing is probably uh, too complex. How does that connect with um, our ability to intuitively have a sense of of how these things are going rather than constantly feeling like we need to double check or research or, or dig in? Or how does that work for you? Yeah, I think that's this is one of the biggest blind spots I had personally. I grew up in the business. You know, my dad started it uh, when I was a freshman in college and I worked here since then. And so I know everything in and out about electronics manufacturing when it comes from manufacturing, running the machines, setting up the machines, what quality, what kind of level quality level is acceptable, what is not procurement, uh, process engineering, uh, manufacturing technologies. I know all that. And I used to just use my intuition and I have been wrong a lot. <laughs> so I think one thing that we found is don't trust your intuition. Like, you know, like you can have an idea, but I think when we were talking about it, going back to the first point, it's always work hard to be proactive and not reactive is don't trust your intuition. Follow a data-driven process that leads to significant improvement in your organization and a better experience for your customer. So um, with the leadership team, with the operations team, with the production team, working together, collaborating, uh, challenge, challenging each other, we've had to back up data with our requests or back up our requests with data and then we make a decision. And that changes the entire mentality of everybody is it's not hurt feelings anymore. It's not, I wish you do it my way. I don't agree with them anymore. It's very objective. So, uh, and then once we have the data to make the decision, we also have the data to track whether that decision that was made is making a difference. What was the third point that you wanted to, Jay, that you wanted to connect on? Um, this is actually the fifth point. So, fifth uh, point. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, uh, I think I think it goes back to what were the first episode was uh, procure for value and not cost. Yeah, yeah. Find vendors that will make you better and pay incrementally more for it because the more people you have on your team, again, the less blind spots you'll have and the better the organization you'll be and they will invest in your success. So you automatically get allies just for an incremental increase. And um, these guys who are out in the world seeing different companies and doing different things, they can definitely share best practices with us. So we become a better organization. Jay Patel is the CEO at Amtech. And man, every conversation is great. I, I love uh, when I'm left with more to think about after after we're done talking and I kind of, this stuff percolates. I really appreciate uh, this insight. And, and a couple of takeaways for me are, um, don't just trust your gut, back it up with, with the real deal, with information and insight that you can respond to so that you're making sort of pragmatic and calculated decisions. And uh, keep it simple. Don't at least don't don't bite off the whole thing. Take one bite at a time if you need to. But um, 
often we complicate these things when they don't need to be as complicated as we, as we think that they need to be. Yep. Jay, it's great to be with you again. Thanks for uh, thanks for the conversation. I'm looking forward to our next time. Thanks, thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks for joining us. And a special thanks to our subscribers and followers. Consider becoming one today wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.